Hello, my name is Dr. Linda Metcalf, and I'm the author of Counseling Towards Solutions, the first book published in 1995 that took the solution-focused approach into the classroom for students in grades kindergarten through 12th grade. Now in its third edition, you can see it on Amazon.com. I'm also the webinar leader of the Solution Focus Connection webinar, a free webinar offered every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central. To register for that webinar, go to metcalfconsulting.org. Today I'm going to talk about what happens sometimes when I do some training with teachers principals, school counselors, and we learn the first three steps of the solution-focused approach. And we get it down pretty well. We practice it a bit. We talk about students, teachers, parents, conversations. And then, inevitably, somebody at the end of the training might say, so, but how would you use it in this situation? Well, today in this podcast, we're going to talk about that. Because, actually, you use the same approach in any situation. situation. Just imagine that. I want to share a story with you about a group I worked with recently. It was a group of school counselors who had just finished up some pretty extensive training that I had done and they were going out and using the solution-focused approach with success and they were excited about it and they wanted to get together and talk about how they can take it to the next level or how they can introduce it to teachers. So there they sat, this group, and one of them said, you know, I just, my worry is that people will think that this is just one more initiative. And the teachers think it's just one more initiative. They're not going to pay attention to it. And so they sat there for a minute and looked at me and I said, so, so how would they know that it wasn't just one more initiative? Well, the group was a little quiet at first. And they sat and they thought for a minute. And then gradually, they began to give me ideas. And as they were doing that, what they didn't know or didn't realize at first was that they were creating their own preferred future. The same steps that we've been learning about all the six months. The best hopes were to help teachers know that this was not just another initiative. The question, how would they know it was not just another initiative? got them into thinking about what it would look like. And so fairly soon, I got answers such as, well, I guess we could start off by, I could talk at the faculty meeting and let them know that we're going to slowly start utilizing a solution-focused conversation. Okay, what else? Someone else said, I guess we could have them start applying it in a certain situation at school. Okay, like what? Well, maybe a team meeting might be a good place, okay? What else would be going on that would tell them this was not just another initiative, this was a mindset? They thought again and started saying things like, well, I guess we'd have to make them accountable, okay? How would you do that? Well, you know, there's some teachers at school that are always accountable. They're always into trying something new and carrying it through. I guess we could ask some of them. Okay, good idea. What might you tell them as you talked with them about helping to kind of spread the word of this new approach? And we talked about that. And we got into some pretty good details. 
By the time we finished, they had a plan. And because it was their plan, it was pretty much guaranteed to work. What I liked so much about that conversation was at the end, their plan was something that was very different than what I might have thought because I might have been from a different school. But several of them said, you know, if we just have one handout that we start off with and we give that to our teachers and we say, every team meeting, every time you gather together to talk about a student's needs, follow this script just for the first six weeks. Okay, that was great because it was, first of all, brief. It was simple. It was a one-page sheet that they could follow. But again, it was their idea. And because it was their idea, there was a much better chance of them carrying it out and staying focused on it. So what happened in that conversation? And how can you have the same kind of conversation, whether it's with a teacher or a parent or a student? whether you're going back to school face-to-face -face in the fall or virtual. I guess one of the things that you can begin to think about is that when people come to you with requests, that is, and that can be interpreted as, a best hope. For example, maybe a parent will say, I just want my daughter to go to school because she's smart and she needs to just get up and stop complaining about it. Okay, so saying back to a parent like that whose obvious best hope is that her daughter goes to school is so so how would your daughter know you you said something important here you said she was smart and it sounds like it's really important to you too that she go to school right well yes it is and she is smart okay how would she know let's say you go home this afternoon and on the way home you start thinking about how you might have reached your daughter before how you might tell her that she is smart, how you might let her know the importance of her going to school in a way that maybe she hasn't heard from you before, how might you do that? What might be different? I might also explore with a parent, um, tell me about other people in her life that have somehow gone through to her. What have you noticed them doing that she pays attention to? What else do they do? What would your daughter say they do? That kind of information gathering, it, it kind of helps the person, by using some exception questions, figure out what a preferred future might look like when she goes home and talks to her daughter about going to school. In addition, maybe a teacher might come to your office or send you an email or do a Zoom chat with you and say, you've got to do something about Mariel because she just continues to not show up and be motivated. Sometimes she will show up, but she's just not motivated to do the work I know she can do. A lot of times, if you'll listen very closely to how teachers respond when you ask questions, you'll often hear these little hidden compliments. And in this particular dialogue, which is actually a real one that I experienced, the teacher is basically saying, you know, I know she can do the work. I know she's capable. I know she's bright. So coming back and saying to the teacher or asking the teacher something like, so how do you know that she's bright? How do you know she's capable? An answer might be, well, I've seen it before. When we were face-to-face, -face, she was very talented in, in doing assignments, particularly on the subject of mountains when we did it. Wow, I could say back, I wonder if she knows 
how much you notice her abilities. A teacher may say, well, I'm not so sure. Huh, well, wonder what you might do in the near future the next time you meet her online or talk with her face-to-face -face that could convey that belief in her that she's capable. Wonder what you would be doing and wonder what she would notice you doing that would give her that message. Doing that kind of questioning back helps to help a teacher brainstorm what he or she can do differently the next time they're around a student. And because it becomes their idea, more likely they are to do it. And imagine the impact on the student who normally might hear someone complaining that they're not doing work, instead hearing, this is why I talk to you, because I believe in you. I've seen you do it. Did you know that you're so capable? The difference is enormous. <laughs>to summarize, this podcast was designed to help you see that no matter what request you are asked, no matter what dilemma you're faced with, there's always the reliance on the three steps we've talked about throughout this series that you can depend on. So the next time someone comes in your door and said, okay, I know you want to use this approach with every student, but here's a different situation. Listen closely for what the person is asking of you. What is their request? Because inside that request are their best hopes. If you hear what they don't want, what they want to stop, turn that into something different by saying, so instead of that, when that does stop, what will be happening that you'd appreciate better? That will lead you more to a best hope that you can work with. And after you've gotten the best hope, Write it down just to give yourself a little bit of leverage on how to proceed. And ask the person to take a chair for a minute and talk to the person and begin to find out in their heart what would be going on slightly different when that best hope began to happen. What else would be going on? What else would be going on? What would others in that person's life or day notice going on? And when that's finished, jump into some exception hunting by saying something like, you know, this is an outstanding idea that you've come up with. I'm so impressed with you. Tell me times when you maybe have talked to another person or done something similar like this in another class before and it was fairly successful. What did you do? And be curious, just like Columbo. Be fascinated by the person in front of you who's walked into your office with a dilemma who is now turning around and giving you ideas on how to build the solution. It's honestly pretty incredible. But then, so is the solution-focused approach. May this week be exceptional for you and everyone in your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. If you like what you hear, please go to my website, metcathconsulting.org. There you will find ways to sign up for my free webinar every single Wednesday evening at 5 p.m. I've done these since April the 8th, and I've had a great time meeting people all over the world who sign in each week. And during that time we have the webinar, you have opportunities to ask questions about all kinds of things. So take care, be safe, and may the solution force be with you.